0: Really glad that we could be together. A happy Easter to all of you. So, all over the world this weekend, millions and millions of people are celebrating this holiday called Easter. It is an incredible thing. And so, we're privileged right here at Light Point to be able to open our campus to multiple services. This is one of them. And wow, is it great to be together? It just feels good. I look out here and I see so many of our church family, those of you that call this place your home. And I see lots of you that I haven't seen in a long time. And our hope was that maybe Easter would kind of be that catalyst to get us out of the COVID funk and to come back. And so if that's you, welcome. We're so glad that you're here. And I see people that I haven't seen before ever. And we welcome you. If you're not part of our church family, but maybe you were invited by someone, or maybe you just found out that we were having a service here on this place and you decided to come, whatever brought you here, we believe God's behind it. And I'm so glad uh, to be able to welcome you. We're going to have a great time together. I'm so grateful for our band. And for others that have helped to get us to this point in our service, it's it's uh, very exciting to me. So several weeks ago, I visited my mom who lives in the state of Georgia, and she's uh, elderly, and we had a great time together. I try to make my way down uh, often to see her, and so after I arrived there and we had a little chit chat, she said to me, "Hey, do you want to go for a ride?" And I said, "Absolutely, let's go for a ride." And what she meant by that was. We take a little spin around the small town where she lives and where I grew up. And uh, we often refer to it as driving down memory lane. You ever been down memory lane? Yeah, it's awesome. And so we, we took off and, and drove and, you know, there were places that we saw that were familiar from our past. There's the house where, you know, our first house together and where, where as a family we grew up. I was just a little kid before we moved uh, to another house. You know, we passed my uh, first grade elementary school. That that was really awesome. We saw the house of our our neighbor, uh, the Kirkpatrick's, who owned the local bakery. It's pretty cool when you live next door to somebody that owns a bakery. I got to tell you, that was awesome. And then and then we passed the tree. I, I don't even need, she she knew what the tree was, but I did. We we passed that place where, as a five year old. It was the first time I remember, it may not have been the first time, but the first time I remember an Easter egg hunt. And uh, here's how it worked. Okay, so all of us little, little kids there, we had our baskets. And, and the grand prize was, you got to find the golden egg. So I was all about it. And so, ready, set, go. And the kids are off. And I was one of them. And my dad, because I was just a little guy, was walking next to me. I would begun to fill my basket with, uh, with eggs. And then all of a sudden we came to the base of this tree, that very tree that I had seen several weeks ago as a reminder. And there there at the bottom of this tree was this little little hole. And he kneeled down and he he pointed in that hole. And sure enough, there it was. The golden egg. The mother of all Easter eggs. Right? And so I pulled it out, put it in my basket. And I was the proud winner. Of the Easter egg hunt. Now, I don't think it was probably—I don't know—several years after that, where I realized I cheated, <laughs> or, or more probably, my dad cheated. Right? So he found it. He pointed to it. Now we were kids. I get it. Maybe that's allowed. And so fast forward to when our kids are experiencing an Easter egg hunt. Our oldest son, you know, about the same age I was. We're all together outside. Lots of kids everywhere. Again. The gun goes off. Ready, set, go. And they're off. Now, you need to know, Easter egg hunts are a competition. The dads are going, yeah, they are. But, but I get it. Most of you moms, you, you're going, wait, wait. OK, it's an opportunity for us to be kind, you know. And so that was my thought. Not really. We, we, I wanted both. All right. And so I, I wanted my son, when he took off, you know, yeah, I, 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 there's a competition, but, but I didn't want him mowing kids down. And, you know, I wanted him looking out for the smaller kids, right? Hey, let me help you out here. And so, so it was warming my heart when I looked over and I saw, I saw Ben following this, this younger kid until I saw that he was taking that kid's ba- eggs out of his basket and putting them <laughs> in his own. Now, the Bible says that the sins of the fathers are passed down to the next generation. Uh Uh-oh, we're in trouble there. That's exactly what what had happened. Truthfully, at the heart of Easter uh, is a story much bigger than an Easter egg hunt. And you know that or you wouldn't be here. Easter is a story about death and life and living forever. It really is that big. So on that first Easter morning, followers of Jesus ran to the tomb to find it empty. Now imagine that. Their minds were racing. Jesus' grave clothes were neatly folded inside that tomb. And then there was this angelic appearance. Well, why, why are you looking for the living among the dead? Why are you in a cemetery when he's, he's risen? And it would be shortly after that that Jesus would appear alive, and extraordinary Miracle. Now listen, God became a man in Jesus, and as He walked the earth, everything was moving toward His death by crucifixion and His resurrection. That was it. That was the point. That was the destination. That's what God in the flesh, Jesus, was doing. Now, hundreds of of Old Testament prophecies about the The birth and the death and the resurrection of Jesus were fulfilled. This is incredible. In fact, Jesus predicted his own death and predicted his own resurrection. How about the empty tomb? Jewish officials had asked Pilate to put guards on the tomb because they suspected, you know, some sort of hoax could be perpetrated. Both Jewish and Roman sources and traditions acknowledge an empty tomb. The tomb was empty. The Roman seal was broken, this is no small task, and a massive stone had been rolled away from the the, uh, opening to that grave. What's more, the Roman guards had fled, an act punishable by death, but they had disappeared. How about the eyewitnesses? Well, Jesus appeared, resurrected to individuals. There's a list of them in the scriptures. And get this to over 500 people at the same time. Dr. Edwin Yamauchi, Professor Emeritus of History at Miami University, in Oxford, Ohio, emphasizes this. He says, What gives a special authority to the list of witnesses as historical evidence is the reference to most of the 500 brothers being still alive. That's what the passage says in the scriptures. It's as though he says, Paul says in effect, If you do not believe me, you can go and ask them. They're still alive. 500 people at One time. Furthermore, the disciples were transformed from cowardly men, I mean, sulking in the shadows, to courageous witnesses who were willing to die for what they had experienced. And the church exploded in momentum. Why? Why? Well, it wasn't a club or even a creed that emboldened the disciples. It was an event, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. As that early church began to gain momentum and exploded with excitement, Acts, that sort of record of the early church, chapter 4, verse 33, says it this way. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was Upon them all. Witnesses. It's an interesting word. We kind of churched it up a little bit. It's pretty simple when you think about it. A witness testifies to what he or she has seen or experienced. That's it. That's why Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, would later write one of the small letters in the New Testament. He says this in 2 Peter. He says, We did not follow cleverly invented fables. Instead, we were, I Witnesses. That's what this comes down to. But there's more to the story. Easter is not only about Jesus being raised to life, it's also about your resurrection, too, and my resurrection. In celebrating the resurrection of Jesus, we can lose sight of the fact, listen, friends, that we're part of the story. We're part of the story. So when I was a kid, our, our family visited the Fountain of Youth in St. Augustine, Florida. Ever been there? Wow. So legend says that Spanish explorer Ponce de Leon was searching for this stream, this source of water that would provide life that would never end. Perpetual youthfulness he was looking for. Now, in truth, he was looking also for gold. But the Fountain of Youth story is much more interesting. Okay. Okay. And so I remember as a kid being there and my adrenaline pumping when I was handed a small cup with water from the Fountain of Youth. And, and, and I sipped carefully and expectantly. And I, to this day, remember my response. That's gross. <laughs> that was my response, right? It was a combination of, of sulfur meets a stagnant stream, uh, to be honest with you. That's, that's kind of what it was. I'm thinking, this should be called the Fountain of Death. Right? Not, not the Fountain of Youth. And the only upside at my Fountain of Youth experience, there was this little tinge of insight. It went like this. What if I could live forever? What if I could live forever? You ever thought about that? What if I could live Forever? Now, is there a desire within you to see that come to pass? Is there a desire within you to live forever? Can, can you say, like, you know, without any pressure or cajoling or anything? Like, like can you kind of, can the sentence kind of roll out of your mouth? I, yeah, I, I would like to live forever. I don't mean here. I'd like to live forever. Now, I want you to imagine two options. There are actually lots of options that are suggested, like when we die. Here's the first one When you die, life ends, everything goes black, and you cease to exist. This is actually quite common. This is the view of what's called naturalism. So in this sense, human beings are just machines. We're just the product of random chance. There's no meaning behind it. We just sort of popped into existence without any purpose, without any direction. And so this view says that once we live our life and we die, it's all over. Everything just goes black and we cease to exist. One of the other views for us to consider, it goes like this. Or, or could it be, number two, after you die, you can live forever in unimaginable joy and peace and happiness, free of pain in a perfect existence. So put aside the whole whatever religious prejudice you might have about this. And I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to get me to agree to the second one. Just forget that for a minute. So we can either embrace, okay, wow, it goes to, to black. Okay, that's over with. But isn't there something within you that would want to, To continue to exist in a joy-filled, peace-filled, happy environment that is perfect. An existence that is perfect. i got to say, that would be incredible. And if you're at least curious about that second option, you're in touch with a biblical reality. In fact, in the book of Ecclesiastes, midway point of the Bible, the writer says it this way in Ecclesiastes 3. God has placed eternity in our hearts. What? God has placed eternity in our hearts. In other words, there's like this little computer chip that's been implanted inside of you, kind of a homing device that says, wait a minute, I wish there was more. Surely there's more. I hope there's more than this. And if we have that inkling of desire, if we even entertain that possibility, it goes right back to the divine. God put that thing in you. God put that thing in me. That desire, that hope, that quest for something more beyond this life. Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, his first epistle, chapter 15, is probably the consummate chapter on resurrection in the entire Bible. Here's what he says, beginning at verse 20, 1 Corinthians 15. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have died. For since by man came death... By man also came the resurrection of the dead. Now, these couple of verses are packed with all kinds of insights. Let's start at verse 21. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. What's he talking about there? Well, the first man he's discussing is Adam. It was through Adam that sin came into the world. That's what he says. For since by man came death, and we're the recipients of that. We are born separated from God. But he says, by man, now my translation here does us a favor because it capitalizes that man. Any clues on who that is? Jesus. By man also came the resurrection of the dead. So Jesus comes to undo the death that Adam, that man, put in place. But notice first fruits. Christ has risen from the first fruit and become the first fruits of those who have died. Well, first fruits implies other fruits. It implies implies second fruits and third fruits and fourth and fifth and sixth and on and on and on. Who is that? Those are people who would believe in Jesus and follow him. Jesus is raised to life and he's saying, hey, you can do this too. I'm just the first. You can experience this too. I like the way Eugene Peterson says it in his translation called The Message. He says, he translates this verse this way. But but the truth is that Christ has been raised up, the first in a long legacy of those who are going to leave the cemeteries. (laughs) I love it. That's good. Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection are inseparably linked to all of humanity. We're part of this story. God loved the world like this, we're told. That he gave his one and only, which means his unique son. That whoever believes in him should not perish, but have life that never ends. Everlasting life. That's what God said. So Jesus' death and resurrection, it's it's not just about Jesus. It's about you. And it's about me. That's how big this thing really is. So here's where this leads. Your belief in Jesus means... You can be sure of your future resurrection. Now, now, some of us get offended by a statement like that. We go, well, what are you saying? Oh, my gosh, that would be so presumptuous. But no, no, it's not. Because that assurance is not based on your behavior or even on your intention to try harder. Your assurance is based on one thing, the promises of God that's it so Jesus made this promise in John's gospel chapter 6 and verse 40 Jesus speaking he says and this is the will of him who sent me that everyone who sees the son and believes in him may have everlasting life and I will raise him up at the last day that's Jesus to Jesus is as good as done through simple faith in him Now notice how the power of this resurrected Jesus works in the lives of people just like us. We know her as the woman at the well. John chapter 4, at verse 3, Jesus left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but, but he needed to go through Samaria Now, this is fascinating because if you sort of looked at the map, you would discover that Jesus is in Judea. He's trying to get to Galilee. Samaria is the area in the middle there. But there was a tension between Jews and Samaritans. They were enemies. Typically, a Jew traveling from Judea north to Galilee would often cross the Jordan River, on, go up the east side of the Jordan River, and then pop out in Galilee, avoiding Samaria altogether. But notice what this passage says. But he needed to go through Samaria. It wasn't needed in the sense that he's going to save time. It's not about that. No, he had a divine appointment, right? So around here, we talk a lot about life point. Uh, Around at life point, we talk about being Christ-like. It's kind of a daunting task when you think about it. In fact, when, we, when you hear Christ-like, is that, is that merely about like how much of the Bible you know? Or, or is it about how kind you are to disenfranchised people? Or, I mean, I don't know what's on your, your list, right? One of the ways we say it is one of the characteristics of a Christ-like influence, influencer is that we love extravagantly. And I don't know of an area of more extravagant love than one that Jesus' example for us. When it comes to this love, this question may be the most revealing or exposing in our hearts. Are you ready? How well do I love my enemies? So Jesus is heading into enemy territory, Samaria. There's nothing new. He's already entered enemy territory. He stepped out of heaven onto the earth. That's enemy territory filled with sinners and hostile people. He's already arrived. He's already there. And here in this account, Jesus encounters a Samaritan woman, a woman from Samaria by Jacob's well and ask her to give him a drink. And she's stunned for lots of reasons, not the least of which is this is a guy talking to her. But. She knows that he's a Jew, she's a Samaritan, and, and I'm sure she's, she's, she's thinking, you know, you're a Jew and you ask me for a drink. Jews and Samaritans are enemies, remember? As the story continues, Jesus said, if you, if you knew the gift of God and who it was who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Well, there's this little shift in the conversation. And the woman says, she's trying to scratch her head and figure it out, this, this water pointing to the well, this water is deep. Where do you get this living water? She's trying to figure out, okay, how can I cut my daily chores short? You're about to give me flowing water. You're about to give me something. I don't have to come here and draw this water out. Verse 13, John 4, Jesus answered and said to you, whoever drinks of this water, pointing to the well, whoever drinks of this water, he says, will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. A fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The real fountain of youth. A fountain springing up to everlasting life. You you can tell where Jesus is going with this. To take a sip of this water, and that's all he's talking about, a sip of this water, is to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. A sip is all that's required. Because the gift of salvation is received in a single moment of belief. A sip. And receiving that gift of salvation means you will live forever. You'll never ever thirst. It goes on forever, he's saying. But Jesus is not done as the conversation continues. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst again. and Come here to draw. Again, she's looking to make it easier on herself. And Jesus says to her in a shift of the conversation. OK, we're talking about water. We're standing by the well. You're talking about living water. She says, give me this water. And Jesus says to her, hey, go and call your husband. And she said, well, well I, I don't have a husband. And he says, "You're right. You've been sexually intimate with five of them. How's that for like conversation?" (laughs) And and the man you're with now is not your husband. Wow. Sure, she's thinking, didn't see that coming. So this woman, verse nineteen said to him, again confronted with their sin, says to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. (laughs) I'll bet you do. Right? How do you respond to that? And she goes on to say, Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, and and, and the Jews say that she's pointing to Mount Gerizim, the center of worship for the Samaritans, and, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place you ought to worship. Did you see what she's done there? What has she done? She's created a smoke screen, and she's created a smoke screen around religion and politics. Oh, I better change that. You're getting way too close and personal here in my private life. I better pop out over here and introduce something to divert from me. You ever done that? Yeah, you have. And I have, too. And then Jesus paints a picture of what what could be. And he says, the hour is coming and now is. When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is seeking the seeker. Verse 25, and the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will tell us all things. And I love this part of the story. Jesus says to her, verse 26, I who speak to you am he. There he is, face to face with her. And while the text doesn't explicitly say it, we have every reason to believe that this woman eventually took a sip of that living water that Jesus was describing, believing that Jesus was her only hope in this life and the life to come because we're told that she enthusiastically ran into town and would proclaim to anybody who would listen to her, quote, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Now, are we really that different from the woman at the will? I think not. Not. We're each writing a story, the story of our lives. And our story includes our sin in all of its layers and all of its junk. All of the stuff we've tried to hide and forget about. Our story surfaces a desire for things to be a little easier than they are. A little more convenient. Come on, Jesus, you can be part of my life. Make things go well for me. And our story is holding out for the possibility, the possibility that we can live forever. The woman's question was Sincere. Could this be the Christ? The answer, of course, is yes, he is. And Jesus' words to his disciples are words meant for us who believe in him. Because I live, you will live also. Friends, that's the wonder of Easter. Let's pray together. Wow, our great God when we see how you've moved through human history and your great love compelling you to reach out to a world that is lost, people mired in their sin, people in need of a savior, we thank you that you have made this so incredibly simple, simple enough to be offensive. Your grace is amazing. And God, we all, just as this woman that day who stood by you at Jacob's will, We are in need of you. God, help us to have the courage to look into our lives. Help us to have the courage to say, are you, are you who you say you are? And then the courage to believe. Believe that you are. This overflowing fountain of living water. We pray this in the risen Savior's name. Amen.